We're back again for another episode of the Play Sheet Podcast. Thanks for joining us. I am Charles, and as always, I'm here with my good friend Joe. Hey there, guys. So, Joe, after what was quite a demoralizing week for you against the Lions, nice little bounce back here for you against the Steelers this week. Uh, yeah, I don't know how much you can really take of it as a positive by the end of the game. Half time, you know, things look swimmingly. Halfway through the third quarter, Vikings were 29 nil up. But going from 29 nil up with, I think, two minutes left on the clock in the third quarter to uh, a one score game and going down to the last play of the game again, issues, issues. Rather than focusing on the Vikings, though, I want to draw us over to the Steelers. And I'm not sure if you got to watch the game, Charles, but I would say genuinely that the first half Steelers run defense was some of the poorest run defense I've ever seen from a football team, and let alone the Steelers, who are supposed to have a proud history of defending the run. Well, I know this week was a major headache for quite a few fantasy footballers out there who had to toy between the decision of starting Cook and starting Madison and... Cook got the start and I suppose I was a little nervous about how ready he was but I mean it was it was like a hot knife through butter wasn't it the Steelers just could not do anything it was a mixture of two things it was both play calling and execution some of the play calling where they were just basically going with a three-man front dropping all the linebackers into coverage especially after TJ Watt's injury I mean there just wasn't any run defense there whatsoever the Vikings O-line isn't the best right now, especially with the injuries they have. But the five men of the Vikings O-line against three Steelers defenders, I mean, the lanes that were opening up, we often say that you could drive a truck through there as a metaphor. You could literally drive a truck through not just one, but often two gaps that were opening up on that Steelers D-line. It was embarrassing. Every time Cook picked the ball up, he was making 10, 15 yards. I, I think he finished the first off averaging about 9.7 yards on 15-odd carries. Outrageous. The run defense for the Steelers was miserable. So... Terrible run defense. We've already spoken about how Big Ben is just rapidly declining at this stage. Then, of course, if you move on to the wide receivers, it feels like there are major issues there with Chase Claypool. Then you've got Johnson, who's very prone to dropping. It it just feels like there aren't many areas in which this Steelers team can kind of zone in on and, and build around. So where do they go from here? Yeah, you're right. There's there's issues across this team. I mean, you look at some of the historic Steelers teams of yesterday, they were built on the trenches. And, and that's where most Super Bowl winning teams, to be honest, have their foundations. It's in the trenches, it's in the lines. At the minute, the lines are both offensive and defensive aren't what you'd expect from a Steelers team. The O-line, this is understandable. I mean, they lost a lot of key players last year. Your Pounceys, Villanueva, De Castro. You know, long-term stalwarts of what was a very good line are gone. It's very hard to draft the line. Players at that position often take some time to mature. It's hard to find good tackles in the draft because they're often snapped up early. So they were always going to struggle to try to draft the gaps that had arisen from the end of last season. Park that to one side at the moment, though, and like you mentioned, wide receivers, there's issues there. It's maturity. It's the type of play they've bought on board. Juju Smith-Schuster didn't work out as Brown's replacement. He's not a, you know, do-everything target man, wide receiver, that ex-wide receiver who you can just throw the ball to. He's not that guy. 
Claypool, like you mentioned, showed a massive lack of maturity at the end of a Vikings game. Had he not shown off, the Steelers could have probably got another play away at the end and potentially drawn the game. And Johnson, like you said, just drops everywhere. All of this, though, can be papered over at times by a quarterback. And for all intents and purposes, Ben Roethlisberger might as well have not been playing quarterback at times this season, judging by how poor his play has been. Now, where are the Steelers going to get a quarterback from? Probably not from next year's draft. A, they're probably not going to be drafting near the top of the pile to pick up a quarterback in the first 10 without giving away additional draft capital. But B, there's not really that many quarterbacks who are looking like they're going to be in the draft. So they're probably going to have to pick up an interim solution and then build a team around that interim veteran while they find the long-term franchise quarterback of the future, perhaps in a draft in a year or two's time. And I think that is one of the biggest problems, really, isn't it? Because for a team that is as middle of the road as the Steelers is right now in terms of record and, and positioning, the makeup of their team is well below, I would argue, their record. And so they've left themselves in a really tricky position because they're not going to be able to draft their way out of it in a single year. This feels like it's the potentially the beginning of a very slow rebuild for the Steelers. They left things way too late. Now, when you think about the Chargers, they got Philip Rivers' replacement last year, which again was quite late. The Giants replaced Eli Manning the year before that. Those other teams from that 2004 quarterback draft, they've already moved on and gone to the next step. The Steelers have tried to drag things out for as long as possible. And the surefire evidence and proof of that was in the drafting of Najee Harris you draft a running back like that if you feel he's going to take you over the top if you think that he's going to be that missing piece otherwise drafting a running back round one is a luxury pick you shouldn't be doing particularly in a rebuild that's what they did misjudgment now there's going to be even more holes they have to fill next year now I'm not going to throw out names that they should have you know drafted instead of Najee Harris, but there are lots of players across lots of positions who probably would have been more suitable for the team where it is now. By the time that you know the Steelers team is ready to have that kind of running back as that missing beast, Najee Harris is going to be well into his career and perhaps already moved on to a different team. Yeah, so then final question on the Steelers and, and just taking a quick look at coaching. Looking at other sports, thinking about NBA and things like that, coaches change around I'd say probably with more frequency than they do in the NFL and there are certain coaches that just say you know I don't want to stick around for a rebuild I'm moving on things like that it feels like there's a big job here for Tomlin to do and Tomlin I think we can all agree is a very very good coach is there any chance that he gets poached by somebody else who can offer him less of a rebuild job or do you think he's just loyal to the Steelers and he'll see this through and turn the ship around? Mike Tomlin is Steelers. I mean, he's been there 15 years, maybe a little bit more. The Steelers' job is one of the highest profile coaching roles in football. I don't see why Mike Tomlin would want to go. And we're talking about a rebuild here as well. Don't forget, he started off at the Steelers at an incredibly young age. Mike Tomlin's not 50 years old yet. Two Super Bowl appearances, a Super Bowl title, an extensive long run of winning seasons. He's 49 years old. He's got time to rebuild a team if he so desired. And I think that he needs to be given every opportunity to do that. Like, I mean, really, what jobs out there genuinely are big enough for Mike Tomlin to actually go to, to actually want? There's, there's very few that are as high profile as coach of the Pittsburgh Steelers. I don't see Mike Tomlin leaving. I see him being given the tools and the opportunity to take the Steelers team to the next phase. 
Fantastic. So let's keep things in the AFC North then. And it was only last week how we were talking about the mountain of injuries that were racking up for the Ravens. Uh, And now the star quarterback has got what looks like a high ankle sprain. We're not sure how severe that is at this stage, whether he'll be back in time for the playoffs or whether he'll miss out on that entirely. And you'd think if the Ravens get the playoff spot, which, you know, it looks quite likely they'll do even without Lamar Jackson at this stage. But if they get the spot and Lamar Jackson's not there for playoffs, you can't really picture this team going too far, especially with all the other injuries they've got besides Lamar. So just to jump in on something that I'm not sure if it's confirmed yet about the high ankle sprain. I think that he's got a sprain of sorts, but I don't think it's high ankle. So he may not be out for several weeks, might be a couple of weeks, but he will probably be back perhaps the week before playoffs. That's where we're at. As you mentioned, damage will be done between now and then. There's so much attrition in the defense of this team. They already went through the utter you know, nonsense that they had at the running back position. That is fixable. But losing cornerbacks, losing safeties, that's less fixable. I mean, having you know, third-round draft picks of this year having to play safety for them because of injuries, because of guys who are on injured reserve. As you mentioned, the Ravens will make playoffs. They've probably done enough already to get there. But it's very hard to really see this team progress past the wildcard round as we've seen from a play from the last few weeks, they're just missing so much. It's unfortunate. We always talk about teams have attrition. It's part of a game you have to adjust. But each season, there does seem to be a team who's maybe stung with the injury bug more than others. It was the San Francisco 49ers last year. This year, it feels like the Ravens. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, as we said, it feels like the Ravens will have an opportunity in the playoffs at least, which is something that San Fran didn't get last year. But... We know that depth is so crucial when it comes to playoff time because injuries have such a massive impact when you're talking about one and done games and you need those key players because it's everyone steps up their game. You're playing against teams that bring out packages that you potentially haven't seen before. You need to be as ready as you possibly can be. And I think you pointed out quite correctly that the the corners and safety issues... If they can't get that fixed in time, that just feels like such a critical weakness that other teams can target and and send the Ravens packing early on. I'm just going to backtrack on something here, Charles. The Ravens had such a good record at the midway point three quarters through the season, but it felt almost like they were a lock for playoffs. I'm just going to throw out the four games left they have this year. They've got the Packers, the Bengals, the Rams and the Steelers. (laughs) that's pretty nasty they're sitting on eight and five right now but it's very hard to see them winning that Packers game the Bengals are less afflicted by injuries and are fighting for their lives to stay in the playoffs only a game behind them may I add the Rams uh, we'll talk about them later but have been picking up form and then you've got the Steelers who, you know, it's a divisional game. You probably put the Ravens favourite, but they're not going to be more than a score favourite. And if, if injuries to Jackson are still an issue at, at, at that point, that's a coin toss game. There's an argument that the Ravens lose out uh, for the rest of the season and uh, finish with an 8-9 record. Yeah, and 8-9, and nine, you'd probably looking at this conference, you'd probably say that isn't enough, really. You've, I, I mean... 
assuming that Chiefs go through, you've already got Chargers on eight and five just below them. Assuming Patriots go through, you've got Bills on seven and six. These are teams that you would expect to win a few more games between now and the end of the season. They'd be a couple of wildcard spots there that would potentially overtake the Ravens. So you're right, it's certainly not all sewn up. And I think that if at all possible, the Ravens will definitely be trying to push for Lamar Jackson to come back for that Steelers game because it feels like if he's back in the fold at that point and not too unhealthy, that will be the element that will help them uh, secure that victory. Let's see what happens. When they've put it all together, they've looked a good team. When they beat the Chiefs, they look good. When they destroyed the Chargers, they look good. But there's been other kind of performances through the season from injury, but not just from injury, where they haven't really looked all that. Let's see what happens. But it would be unfortunate if a team with potential loses the playoffs purely through injuries. Yeah. So a team that certainly hasn't looked good of late is the Las Vegas Raiders. And, well... I think we have to briefly talk about this logo stomp or this logo hype that they did at the beginning of the game. They all congregated on the centre logo of the Chiefs, stomped about, got hyped up, then left. We've seen, you know, Steelers do things dumb, like this before. Dumb, dumb, yeah. isn't it? I mean, it is dumb. You're absolutely right. It is dumb. And here's two things that make it dumber. One, they got smashed by the Chiefs only a few weeks ago. So... Why are they coming out giving that attitude, giving the Chiefs another reason to go, right, we're not going to take our foot off the gas here? And two, I mean, I was super surprised to find out that Mahomes' brother hadn't got out there first. He loves <laughs> he loves a little logo dance, doesn't he? <laughs> uh, yeah, and look, the Chiefs didn't really take their foot off a pedal. They were going into the fourth quarter, I think 38-9 up, and they made sure that they scored another 10 points in the fourth quarter just to kind of keep their foot on the gas. When you're going dancing on someone else's logo, is the effect that it pumps you up, is that really going to offset how much it's going to pump up your opponents to go and beat you? I don't think that is ever the case because you've got to be quite a strange individual to be pumped up that much just to dance on someone else's logo. Really, it's a stupid thing to do. It shows the continued spiral and lack of maturity. With everything that's gone on with this team, you'd think that the players would want to avoid doing things that make them look like idiots and immature douchebags. But that's exactly what we've done here. You've got to look at players like Carr as well. Leaders leaders shouldn't be allowing this to happen in the team. And this team is trending massively in the wrong direction now. It's going to be very hard for someone to go in there I think and correct the ship you're going to need a very very strong individual to right the wrongs that are about this Raiders team yeah I agree I mean it, to me it feels like that's the type of move that's only performed by teams that are looking for that extra edge out of pure desperation you know if you are confident in your own team's ability your own team's tactics you go out there and you do the talking on the pitch you don't mess about on logos at the beginning of the game and so that I think really isolates how the players feel about the, the team that they're in currently. And I, I completely agree with you. It feels like a really big rebuild job and it feels like you are going to need a massive character that can come in and really stamp their mark on this team and create some culture that isn't toxic because that seems to be all that follows the Raiders about nowadays. Raiders have Browns, Broncos, Colts and Chargers left. I'll be honest, I can't see them winning any of them. They're 6-7 and seven now. They could be heading for a 6-11 and 11 season. 
bottom of the AFC West, but not bottom enough to be in the mixer for a top, top pick. Not great for any coach, I think, who's going into that situation. And so where does the rebuild start for them? Where do they look here? It's a hard question. I think that whoever comes in has to really take stock of which players he wants to take forward with him. So do you feel that the placement of a new head coach needs to be someone who's more of a veteran rather than looking towards college coaches? Oh, 100%. I wouldn't want a college coach taking this role. I could even see this being a job for, say, a head coach who was once a head coach, failed at a certain team and stepped back and is now an offensive coordinator or defensive coordinator somewhere. I, 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 I see it as being that type of coach who'd come and take this job. I think that if you're in a coaching position right now, it wouldn't make any sense for you to move to the Raiders unless you're going to get a huge contract and you're in it for the money like Gruden was. There's just so much that has to be done here. I could see this being something like for Dan Quinn. Not saying that Dan Quinn should take this role, but for a coach like that, an experienced guy who's been around, who has rebuilt his reputation as a coordinator, who wants to step back up into the big leagues and be a head coach again. Great. And then let's finish off talking about the Cardinals and the Rams, Joe. It was a late night for us last night. Saw that one through to the end, but um, it was a close one. It was competitive. The Rams had quite a lot of challenges to overcome uh, at the beginning of the game. They lost quite a few key players, but were still able to put up a fight and actually win the day over the Cardinals. So is this a sign that actually teams that were maybe finding their way this season starting to gain some traction are the Cardinals now slipping a little bit it's hard to read too much into it you should never really read too much from one game you can take learnings away from it the learning I took away from this game was the importance of Kyler Murray because Kyler Murray did have a down night and I know he finished up with 348 yards that might sound a little silly but if you watch his play in the first half numerous times he missed open receivers at key situations I'm saying you know third down conversions blown coverage where they were on for a touchdown where he's just missed that happened a couple of times in the first half a couple of times too many had he executed properly in those situations I think we'd be looking at a different result and a different score Kyler Murray had a down game I mean it happens players I'm not gonna say they're entitled to because you're not paid to have a down game but it happens it's one of his things but when Murray isn't playing at full pace this team stutters and that's what happened last night yeah, so the outcome of that game, the number one seed at the moment sits with the Packers, followed closely by Tampa Bay, who are on the same record as them. And that now means that the Cardinals slip down into third for that seeding. It's really close at the top of the table here. And that first seed having to go through a home ground to get to that playoff final, it, it's important. It means a lot. Yeah, and it's more important to certain teams than others. I'd say it's probably easier going to SoFi Stadium or Raymond James Stadium than it is going to the frozen wastes of Lambeau in the middle of January. So let's move on through to our previews then, Joe. We've got what is going to be a really big Thursday night game with the Chargers and Chiefs. Huge. Yeah, divisional matchup, really important. Chargers sit one win behind the Chiefs. It's a divisional game. It, it feels super, super important. 
And the Chiefs, you know, they they feel like they're really clicking again now. The defence has put up now a series of games in a row where they have performed. The offence at times has stumbled a little bit. We spoke about uh, Kelsey last week and things like that. But by and large, it's an offence that you recognise and it's a Chiefs offence that is performing well. So the Chargers certainly have their hands full with this one, but I think it's the kind of primetime football game that a lot of people will be staying up to watch. Yeah, I'll be looking more for trends in this game. I will be looking for trends. You say this Chiefs offence has been better. There's been a few games recently where the Chiefs offence has got away with it because the team they've played has been... Uh, massively handicapped for whatever reason. They got away with it against the Raiders because the Raiders were just terrible. Not in the last game, in the game a few weeks ago. They got away with it against Green Bay because Aaron Rodgers wasn't playing. But we've seen a lot of inconsistency from this Chiefs offense. So if they come to this game and they're not playing well, you'd want to see the Chargers take advantage of that to kind of show this up. If they, A, come to the game and don't play well but win still, it's a massive black mark against the Chargers. But equally, if they come and get exposed, then it's a black mark against the Chiefs and shows a vulnerability there. Flip side on the Chargers, we've seen some great games from him this year, but we've also seen, like I mentioned earlier, against Ravens, we've seen him collapse in certain bigger games. We'd want to see that amended. I mean, even if they don't come away with a W, and the W is all that matters, even if they don't, they want to totally avoid getting a blowout here because a blowout would be hugely damaging to their momentum going through to the playoffs. Yeah, completely agree. I mean, you've got three teams now that sit at the top of the AFC, all on nine and four, which are the Titans, the Chiefs and the Patriots. So there's some really tough competition fighting for that number one seed. Uh, But the Chargers sit right beneath them on eight and five. So a win here puts them in the mix, certainly to top the AFC West. But there's an argument that both of these teams, either one of these teams rather, could potentially go on and be the number one seed still. So there's not just the divisional matchup that they want to top here, but they're fighting for for the lot. Absolutely, absolutely. So like I said, the win, the W is the most important thing, but there's a lot of undercurrents and trends that are playing out here that we have to keep an eye on because it's no good just saying, oh, the Chiefs have won, they've won that then, so that's great. It's how they win. It's how the Chargers win if they win. A lot to keep our eyes on. The biggest Thursday night game we've had for a while. Really excited for it. And so on paper, we've got a fantastic matchup there. Probably one that might not excite quite as many neutral fans of the NFL is going to be the Texans and Jaguars. But it feels like this is still probably quite an important game, mostly because the Jags lose here and this could really be the death nail for Urban Myers. So Urban Meyer has already been fired. Thanks a lot for that, Jaguars. I thought Jacksonville were meant to be the London team and here they are doing the local market media dirty. Not very impressed. But why don't you listen to our theories anyway and see how it all panned out? Yep. so going into the season, Urban Meyer, he's had a couple of setbacks, but I mean, he had everything he wanted. He got his first round, first draft pick quarterback. He had lots of draft capital throughout the rest of the draft. He had full control over the team, the affairs. He's had everything there. And he's massively underwhelmed, both on and off the field. David Culley, on the other hand, was set up for failure. 
he's not done a, a, a spectacular job, but bearing in mind he's had to run this team with a third-round rookie quarterback who, you know, most people thought had potential but probably wouldn't have picked as their starter, and he's got two wins. You could argue that Cully has performed better than Urban Meyer, and I think a, a lot of people would probably go along with that. Urban Meyer has to show massive improvement, I feel, in the last few games of this season to potentially save his job. There are a number of rumours, and you can only look into rumours so much, but there's been a number of them. There's, where there's smoke, there's fire. There's a lot of talk that he might not be the coach next season. I think that if he loses to this Houston team, this divisional rival who everyone had down as the worst team for this year, losing to this Houston team probably mean they finish below Houston. They have a worse record than Houston in this season. I think he's got to go. I think a loss here is the death knell for Urban Meyer. Um, and a win doesn't necessarily mean he's still going to stay in charge, but I think a loss definitely spells the end of his Jacksonville career. Yeah, 100% agree with you. I think a loss here, and he's done. I, not necessarily fired on the spot. But, no, no, no. But no. yeah, done, as in he won't be back next season. Yeah. And, and I agree. I don't think a win necessarily secures it for him, especially with what one of the Jaguar players came out with it was a an anonymous source, but um, for the podcast's sake, let's uh, let's call this person Rames Jobinson, and he has come out and said he came in preaching values, family, and team. It's been anything but since the start of training camp. He's a phony and a hypocrite. We know who he is. That's damning. Yeah, and then he basically gave James Robinson, uh, sorry, Rames Robinson, no touches last week. He's he's petty. Everything he's done has been questionable, and even the stuff that hasn't come to the surface. It, everyone, you know, talked about the video of him in the club and what that meant, but the fact that he was just there full stop. He shouldn't have been there full stop. He's bush league. A lot of what he's been doing has been absolute bush league, and you can get away with it when you have a big cheese in a college program that just runs itself because recruitment is so easy, but you can't get away with it in the National Football League. There's a lot of people who are very upset with Urban Meyer, and like you say, losing here might not necessarily mean getting fired on the spot. But I don't think you come back next season if you lose this. He could get fired on the spot. I'm not going to write that off. But uh, let's see. So we've gone from the top with the Chiefs and the Chargers to the bottom with the Texans and the Jags. Let's land somewhere in the middle at the moment and take a look at Washington versus Philadelphia. Both teams clinging on here, but a loss again, feels like that pretty much kills it in terms of playoff chances for one of these teams. Yeah, I thought this was just an interesting game just to have a little quick dive into. It's easy to talk about the Chargers and Chiefs games of the world and focus on them, but we've got two NFC East teams. Now, we haven't ripped the NFC East as much as we did last year. I think we've ripped that on basically every episode of the pod for about six weeks running at one point. Uh, we haven't ripped them that much. They're still not a good division but they haven't been as atrocious as last season now these are two teams who are still in the mix partly because there's so many teams who are just floating around that six or seven win mark in the nfc but both have shown promise at different times everyone expected washington to come in and reignite that defense that was so potent towards the end of last season didn't happen it's been interesting their success this year has come from the offense Likewise, Eagles were expected to really be kind of predicated on how well Jalen Hurts developed in his second year. 
But the success of them in the middle and last third of this season has been built off the run game. So interesting kind of trends through both of those teams. Unfortunately for Washington football team, the injury bug has bit them. Taylor Heineke took one last week. I'm not really sure if there's much behind him at all. So if he is out, you've got to say that the Eagles would be a heavy favour. And you know, like Charles mentioned, a loss here could spell the end of things. So it'd be a shame for their season to burn out like that. But either way, divisional matchup, two teams who are really slugging it out to keep relevant in the playoff hunt should be an interesting game to watch. Yeah, I think so. As you pointed out, they're both on six and seven. They've both done, you know, fairly well this season for reasons that that people didn't expect. So I think it, at the very least, it should be a game with maybe a few twists and turns in it. But agreed, you know, you'd have to think if Heineke is injured for this, they've already got uh, Thomas injured, their tight end. So it feels like injuries are starting to kind of add up for this team and and it will be tough to, to overturn the Eagles if they're missing their starting quarterback. Absolutely. Well, Joe, that's it for this week for us. It's been great actually watching some games together for a change and hopefully, all things willing, we'll be able to watch a lot more together next season. We're going into the Christmas period. Saturday games. Saturday games. I'm thinking snow games. It's where things start to get a little bit hectic and a little bit crazy. So plenty to look forward to still. It's still far from over. So we've got Thursday night, Saturday night, Sunday night and Monday night football coming up this week. Well, Joe, it's been a pleasure as always. And we'll speak next week. Speak then, Charles.